on today's Ray Ora show, Rings of Power Season 2 finishes shooting without writers or showrunners. Oppenheimer doesn't drop a bomb, but it drops a new trailer. <laughs> Guardians of Galaxy 3, the MCU's best trilogy. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, the longest Hollywood animated film ever. And Blade delayed again. And the, the last thing we're going to cover is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 lands the biggest opening weekend of 2023. All that and a bunch more on the Ray Ora Show, baby. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie rate show on the planet Earth. I took back control. The John Campy Show coming from right here. On my YouTube channel, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campion. It is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around to talk about our favorite things in the world. Movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good things. Not just giving you our opinions, but giving you information and context so you can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. Uh, joining us today, sitting over here, is uh, Ray Ora, not hosting the show. By the way... Got to tell this quick story now that we're on Ray. Oh, no. Why are you always doing this? So, so yesterday, we we go to do our uh, movie club, Guardians of the Galaxy event with me, Greg Alba, Christian Harloff. So when we get out to Burbank, me and Ray, our buddy Ryan, we decide, okay, let's stop and get something to eat first. So we hit Yard House and get something to eat. Great. Then we go and do the show. The show ends, and a few people are still hungry. So like we had a big group of us. They're like, oh, let's go to Barney's Beanery and eat again. Yeah, all right. So we all go hit Barney's Beanery. And then I'm looking at my watch. I mean, it's getting late. We got to get home. Yeah. So we start to leave. And me and Ryan and Ray are walking towards the car after yeah. Barney's Beanery. And Ray's like, wait a minute. I'm like, what? I got to go to Chipotle. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, I got to go to Chipotle. So he goes into Chipotle. He's in there for about 15 minutes. Looking at our watch. Okay, we got to go. We got to go. So we, now there's three restaurant stops. And then we see Ray coming out of Chipotle. I'm like, ah, oh, finally we get to leave. And Ray comes out. I was like, I left my credit card back at the other restaurant. I'll be back in a bit. <laughs> he takes yeah. off. And I ordered something else at that restaurant to go. No, you no, did. No, I didn't. But. <laughs> so that's that. Uh, sitting back there is Jen is joining us. Running the show is Jonathan. Chris is joining us, of course, as always. Hey, and most importantly, you guys are here. Thank you so much for being here, making this show part of your day. Here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to break it into two parts. In the first part of the show, we're going to talk about those predetermined topics that Ray read off. The second part of the show, we're going to take your questions that you guys can send in anytime, 24-7, to our tip link at streamelements.com slash johncampia slash tip. Whether it's 2 in the morning or 3 in the afternoon, you can send in those questions there. And if they're appropriate to be used on our show, we'll read them off and address them here on the show. Also, want to remind you guys, if you need your daily fix of the John Campia show, but you can't be in front of a YouTube video, there's good news. There's an audio-only version of our show in podcast form, simply and creatively called the John Campia Show Podcast. Go on your favorite podcasting app of choice and subscribe to it today so it'll be there when you need it. All right, guys. With that down, let's get into our first main topic here today, shall we? And our first topic is this. My most anticipated show of the last five years has been Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. That, that There was no other show that I was looking forward to more. Uh, the behind-the-camera talent they assembled was fantastic, and I was super, super excited for it. Yeah, I was looking forward to some other shows too, like the new Game of Thrones and whatever. And the show came out, and listen, I, I certainly 
really liked a couple of episodes. <laughs> um, and I, overall, overall, I enjoyed the series, but I also had, you know, several big problems. I almost walked out of the premiere of it. I went to the premiere <laughs> and I saw the first episode and almost because they did this big premiere event where they showed the first two episodes in theaters. And after the first episode, I almost walked out. <laughs> But we stuck around for the second one. Overall, enjoyed it, but it did not anywhere live up to my expectations uh, for the show. But a lot of potential there, I still believe. So they are currently shooting Rings of Power Season 2. Rings of Power Season 2 is currently being shot. But a little thing called the WGA strike has happened. The writer strike has happened. So what's going to happen? Well, according to the people running this show, <laughs> the show must go on. Because according to reports, they're going to just keep making the show without the showrunners, without the runners and without the showrunners. This comes to us from the folks at Variety who wrote the following. The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power is the latest marquee TV series to move forward with production amid ongoing WGA strike. But the Amazon Prime show will be doing so without the services of executive producers J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. The sweeping fantasy series has 19 days of filming remaining. Sources confirmed a variety, but per the WGA strike rules, Payne, McKay, and any other writer-producers are barred from practice or participating in any writing-based duties during production while the strike continues, including making creative decisions on set. Instead, the show's non-writing executive producers like Lindsay Weber, director Charlotte Brandstrom, Sana Hamri, Hamri mm -hmm. and Louise Hopper are, uh, and crew are overseeing production on the UK-based shoot. Okay. So my first impression of this is uh, season two really does need to be better than season one. And uh, losing your creative heads is not great. That being said, it is mitigated a little bit by the fact that there are like, well, now 17 days of shooting left. The vast, 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 vast majority of the show's already been shot. Um, the scripts are done. Still, you'd like your showrunners around in case there are any last-second creative decisions that need to be made. But, you know, listen, if we were on day 10 of shooting, of a five-month shooting period, I'd be very concerned. But to be honest, I, I think this isn't that big a deal. It's not a good thing. No, no, no. In the world of is this a good thing or a bad thing, this is a bad thing. But it's not a the world is falling apart thing. So it, it's not so bad. Anyway, Chris... I mean, you've been on sets and stuff like this. They've got, as of this writing was 19 days today, it's like 17 days of shooting left. Mm -hmm. Should they have stopped production or do you think they're so far into it now and that this isn't a big deal somewhere in the middle? What do you think? I and mean, this is a very expensive show. So it I think is. stopping production would just be them hemorrhaging money. Um, regardless of how you feel about the writing on this show, right? It is very important for writers to be on set. And we've touched on this on the show before. Basically, you it is so common for you to get new pages every single day with adjustments, right? Um, Sir Gamble did this really great tweet thread uh, today about why it's important to have a writer on on set, not only for the writer to gain, you know, actual practical experience of how to become a showrunner, how these stories live in a three-dimensional world, etc. It's so important for them to be there because they're this extension of the showrunner too. And now we don't have the showrunners here, which is problematic. And usually when you have a lot of story left, maybe not 19 days worth, you might not know what happens four episodes from now with this character. So the slightest thing 
could go, oh, that's not their character arc, actually. Or, oh, hey, that's actually not where the story's going. We're going to have this reveal with this character, and you guys just didn't know about that. It's very important. I got to be honest, that kind of sounds like season one. I mean, that's fair. (laughs) That's fair. But it's really important to have writers on set in general for these kinds of things, right? Um, Also, if there's just practical issues, if the set isn't coming to life in the proper way, if there's, you know, safety issues, if an actor gets sick or is injured and can't be in a scene, how do we pivot? Well, a writer usually takes care of that kind of stuff. So for 19 days remaining out of their already extensive shoot, I'm not too concerned, but it definitely is. Yeah, it's not the best thing. It's not (laughs) the worst thing, but it's not a good thing. All right, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Where some other shows have halted production, uh, Rings of Power decided, now nah, we're going to keep going. Uh, granted, it's probably only like 10 to 12% of the shooting days left, but still, it is a little concerning. What do you think about this? Was it the right decision to keep shooting the show? Should they have paused it? It would have been expensive if they did, but maybe that's worth it. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down... Let's move on to this, shall we? Not the best thing that we saw at CinemaCon this year, but one of the best things we saw at CinemaCon this year was the trailer for Oppenheimer. A almost three-minute-long preview, if you will, of the movie that left everybody in that theater with their jaws open, going, oh my God, this looks so effing amazing. And today... Christopher Nolan and Universal have dropped the trailer, this new trailer for Oppenheimer that is now online. I'll tell you what, when they first announced Oppenheimer and they said, look, true stories, I'm a sucker for them. The story behind the person responsible for developing the atomic bomb. I mean, that is a, that is a trajectory of the human experience altering event, right? Our world is different. Today, sometimes I forget we live in the world where one idiot can hit a button and potentially threaten all of our existence. I mean, it's it's really weird when you think about that and seeing Matt Damon in this trailer going, this is the single most important thing that has ever happened. And it's like, you know what? He may not be all that far off. That might not be hyperbole. And the power of this trailer, it sucks you in. You feel in just a couple of minutes the weight of the severity of what is going on on screen. And yet from a character perspective, you're incredibly enamored with what's going on. It, it just looks insane. It looks so good. And you forget, because we talked about it in the early development of Oppenheimer, the all-star cast. But once you start watching the trailer, you're remembering this thing is loaded. Check out some of these names. Florence Pugh, Cillian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Kenneth Branagh, Gary Oldman, Jack Quaid, who's really hot right now, Josh Hartnett, Alden Ehrenreich, Rami Malek, uh, uh, one of the Scars Guards from Vikings. He was the Viking Scar Guards. He was um, uh, Floki. Floki. Mm-hmm. He was Floki in that. I mean, look at this cast. I mean, there's at least six people I didn't realize was in this, mo- in this movie till just now. Right. I mean, just from looking at this cast list, right? Yeah. I'll tell you what. This has got... Christopher Nolan has never won Best Picture. This has got Best Picture contender written all over it. And now listen, Greg, before anybody, I can hear people screaming at their monitors, John, is just a trailer. I get it, and I completely agree. It is just a trailer. We've seen plenty of great trailers to horrible movies. But since all we have is the trailer right now, 
come on, you got to admit this. This is like Christopher Nolan's Oscar calling card, practically. At least that's what it looks like. Anyway, Chris, you saw the trailer mm-hmm. at CinemaCon. We now got to watch it again. What do you think of this trailer? Oh, it's amazing. I'm so glad I'm able to have people see this trailer now because I just sounded kind of weird talking about how excited I was about this movie of just, oh, yeah, you know, it's it's taking a lot of what was written in American Prometheus and exploring Oppenheimer and it's all about the atomic bomb. And when you say stuff with that much enthusiasm about that kind of invention, people get a little confused and a little worried about why you're so excited. (laughs) So when you see this footage, though, this looks so compelling and you understand, too, there's so much going on here. There's espionage and intrigue. We have the issue of actually creating this technology with a very, very recalcitrant Albert Einstein featured in the trailer as well. You have this stacked cast of amazing people. You've got some child actors really coming into their own. Josh Peck is in a Christopher Nolan movie? What? <laughs> There's a lot going on here. And this is one of the ones I really am the most excited for. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing this because the footage we've seen looks just incredible. And I hope other people are excited about this because it should be a, a film, too, that makes you really question in a kind of Jurassic Park style just because we can, should we? And, and in a much more tangible way, because we've seen, obviously, the aftermath of what this invention did and how it did forever change how we fight wars, how we interact with others. It's devastating. And to see how this felt like the only way that people could move forward through the political landscape at the time is is going to be a very compelling and very difficult thing to get through to kind of go through that bit of history. They do a great juxtaposition in the trailer where it's like, on the one hand, you have Matt Damon saying, so let me get this straight. There's a possibility that when we test this thing, we destroy the world. Yep. So then we as the audience are like, well, you can't possibly do it. But then we have Oppenheimer saying, the Germans are going to get the bomb. The Nazis are going to get the bomb. And I can tell you what Nazis will do if they get the bomb. So you have this, we absolutely must do, must not do this, yet we absolutely must. Exactly. And that's a great uh, counterpoint in there. And, and this is the first venture Christopher Nolan has without... Warner Brothers, right? This the is first the first, in, and I don't know if it's the first in his career, but it's the first in a long in time. In a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So but, it's going to be interesting to see how this new marriage, because, I mean, Christopher Nolan obviously had that very public divorce from Warner <laughs> Brothers yes. when Jason Kalar at Warner Brothers decided to drop movies day and date on HBO Max. Anyway, guys, question is for you. Did you have a chance to see this trailer for Oppenheimer? I think it's mind-blowingly good. I mean, this thing has p- best picture potential written all over it what did you guys maybe you didn't think it was all that good maybe you loved it more than we did whatever you guys think jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts okay guys with that down let's go over to our mint mobile hotline question of the day if you guys have a question for the show and like to hear your voice on our show go ahead and call our hotline number anytime at 951-268-4200 Five, nine. We'll pick one or two questions and have them played off in the show. And our first question here today is about, hey, with Guardians of the Galaxy 3 out, where's it in the discussion of the best Marvel trilogies? Check it out. Hey, Tom, this is Louis T. North Carolina. Just went and saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and I have a question for you. So with Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which MCU property has the best trilogy uh for me um, i'm not sure if it's guardians but i would say it's definitely in the conversation between that captain america and uh the spider-man trilogy curious what you think and bring on the filthy 
Hey, thanks for calling that in, Lewis. And yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is now out in theaters. Of course, we did our big movie club on it yesterday. By the way, I'll let you guys know tomorrow we're going to be doing our open spoiler discussion here on the channel. That'll be tomorrow evening, somewhere between 4 and 5. I'll let you guys know what time that'll be tomorrow. But with that coming out now, and by the way, holding a 95% audience rating uh, of the movie. So the audiences are loving it. It brings up now the question, as we sit back and look at the Marvel films, is it, could it be considered the best Marvel trilogy now? And, you know, you'd be forgiven if you think, well, there's not many Marvel trilogies. Actually, we've been doing this for a while. There are kind of are now. So check this out. Here are the ones that would be in the contention for best Marvel trilogy. You got the Iron Man trilogy, four. Now there's four of them, but still there was three. So you can't have that as trilogy. The Captain America trilogy, with Quantumania, we now have the Ant-Man trilogy. We now have the Guardians trilogy and the Spider-Man trilogy that we've had in there. So is Guardians of the Galaxy the best trilogy that Marvel has had so far? I love Guardians of the Galaxy 1. I've loved Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I liked Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but I'm going to say no. I don't think Guardians of the Galaxy is the best trilogy they've done so far. Uh, automatically, you can just take Ant-Man out of there with, with Quantumania. You can just take that out of there right now. Um, with Thor The Dark World, I will remove Thor from that list as well. I crazy love. I think the first Thor is either, either the second or third most underrated comic book film of all time. I love Ragnarok. But Dark World is in there, so we're going to take that one out of the running as well. Iron Man, like Thor, had Iron Man 2. Um, and some people weren't all that jazzed with Iron Man 3 either. One of the most beloved characters in the MCU, not the best trilogy, so we'll take that out of there as well. So to me, that kind of leaves you with Spider-Man, which Homecoming, Far From Home, No Way Home, all solid, solid things. And Captain America with First Avenger, Winter Soldier, Civil War. It, to me, it's got to be Captain America. Mm -hmm. Captain America, because two out of those three films, first of all, I think First Avenger is in the top five most underrated comic book movies. I, I rewatched Captain America First Avenger again about two years ago, and I'm like, we do not talk about this movie enough. Like, that is a great movie. But... Be that as it may, then you get into Winter Soldier. There's a lot of people out there who will make arguments that Winter Soldier may be the best comic book movie of all time. I'm not one of them, but when you're in the comic book movie love and circles, there's a lot of people who argue that Winter Soldier might be the best comic book film of all time. There's a lot of people who might argue that Civil War is the best comic book film of all time. So to me, it is actually quite easy that the Captain America set of films are the best ones they've done. I would say just because of the pure consistency of John Watts's Spider-Man movies, I would put that number two, and I would put Guardians of the Galaxy very comfortably in that number three spot. So that's how I would rank the trilogy, the, the trilogies at any rate. Mm -hmm. Chris, what do you think about, could Guardians be considered the, now that three is out and it's doing really well, could that be considered the best trilogy in the MCU so far? I mean, it's definitely top tier. It's way up there. I'm with you on the second Guardians. Didn't really hit all the chords for me. But while, while I was going over topics this morning having breakfast, I found out going, oh, what do you think the best trilogy is? My husband is an Iron Man 2 apologist. Really? And 10 years together, five years of marriage, you still get tested, folks. Goodness <laughs> gracious. So, what? You like that one? 
it's all subjective, but I think you're wrong. <laughs> it's so. all subjective, but I think <laughs> but, you're wrong. But also questionable for me. And this is also probably my inherent bias. It, it's Spider-Man. You know, that was one of the first comic book characters that I really just fell in love with and I just adored. And I feel like those movies have always been executed so well where I watch them and I have almost no notes of, yep, that's what I wanted from this film. And especially after so many kind of failure to launches with Spider-Man as a franchise, I really, really love this one. I think Tom Holland has been delivering. I think Feige delivered on these and Sony delivered on these. And they're really, really great. I love the kind of cross work that's happened to make these films wonderful. But I can understand Captain America Winter Soldier. I think a lot of that comes down to it's a lot of um, spy espionage government kind of stories. Yeah. And for me, when I'm thinking of a true superhero story, I think I just lean more towards Spider-Man. Where right. if I'm thinking of pure classic filmmaking as a whole, then maybe I might gravitate more to Captain America. Just because there are so many moments that even though it's in a fantastical world with super powered individuals, it doesn't always feel like a superhero film. And for many people, I'm sure that's a big merit for it. Guys, question is for you. Now that Guardians 3 is out, we've got a bunch of trilogies in the MCU. we got Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Ant-Man, Guardians, Spider-Man. What would you say are the best trilogies that they've done so far? Are there any that you would automatically disqualify or the couple that you think absolutely have to be one or two? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, we still have a number of other things to talk about here. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is going to be the longest Hollywood animated film of all time. Blade has been delayed again. Guardians of the Galaxy is the second biggest opening weekend of the year. But before we get to those things, we're going to take just a second to thank a couple of the sponsors of our episode. Rocket and, of course, Manscaped. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of this video, Rocket Money. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Think about that. If you think you're only subscribed to a handful of services, you might want to double check. With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitor your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want and don't even use. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. My wife Ann and I moved out of Burbank two years ago and one of the first things I discovered when I loaded up Rocket Money was that I was still paying for a gym membership I haven't even been to in Burbank in two years. So stop throwing away your money. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to Rocket rocketmoney.com slash campia that's rocketmoney.com slash campia rocketmoney.com slash campia we want to thank the sponsor of today's video manscaped summer's coming are you ready to unveil your beach bod manscaped is here to ensure your body is ready for the wild with their game-changing full body grooming and hygiene products it is time to get ready for summer by going to manscaped.com for 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code campia guys you know i've been using manscaped products for a while now and i love starting every day feeling cleaner fresher and way more comfortable manscaped is dedicated to helping you increase your confidence and level up your full body grooming game 
game with the Performance Package 4.0. The kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 4.0, waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. Inside the Performance Package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. And no one likes nose hair, so their package also comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0. You also get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you go to manscaped.com campia and use the code campia. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com campia and use the code campia. Trim your chesticles with the besticles. And thank you so much to our friends at Rocket and Manscaped for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show and keeping my nether regions all smooth and shiny and nice. Anyway, no, Rocket Money's really good too, though. Let's yeah, Rocket, Rocket Money is also fantastic. More. Thank you so much for that, guys. <laughs> uh, listen, don't forget, guys, when you go and check out and support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So if you go down to the description of this video, you'll find links and promo codes to our sponsors. And again, thank you to Manscaped and Rocket Money. Why does it make right, it shiny? Guys. With rocket that money? Down. Oh, rocket money makes your account really nice and shiny. Okay. Uh, and smooth. Yeah. Smooth account. No debt. All right. With that oh. down, guys, let's go back over to our hotline, shall we? Because we got another question in there asking about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and its impressive runtime. Check it out. Hey, John and crew. This is Sam from San Antonio, Texas. I'm calling in regards to Spider-Man Across the Universe. I'm not sure if you saw the reports that are saying that it has a runtime of two hours and 20 minutes, making it the longest animated movie ever. Does this get you excited? I know that a runtime doesn't really tell you if a movie is going to be good or bad, but what's your level of excitement at? Anyways, thank you guys and uh, bring on the filthy. All right, thanks for calling that in, Sam. And yes, uh, Spider-Man, not in the universe, but across the Spider-Verse, uh, reports have now come out and apparently AMC Theater's website has confirmed the runtime of two hours and 20 minutes. I mean, that information might change, but it's there seems to be enough information there to say that, yeah, it's a two-hour and 20-minute movie. It may surprise you to find out that that makes it not the longest animated film of all time. There are several uh, animations from Japan and internationally that have had longer runtimes, but as far as Hollywood productions go, at two hours and 20 minutes, it would be the longest Hollywood-produced animated film of all time. And and that's weird to think about because we live in an era right now that Oppenheimer's probably going to be three hours. We're talking about some other movie that's coming out soon that's pushing four hours. You know, uh, the uh, Mission Impossible is creeping up over the three-hour mark. So we're, we're kind of becoming accustomed to hearing about these movies with really long run times. But Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse would be the longest. To put that in context a little bit, now let's take a look at the list of the other longest one. So remember, Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse, they're seeing two hours and 12 minutes. Incredibles is the fifth longest. Well, now the sixth longest with at one hour and 55 minutes. Cars was our one hour and 57 minutes. Incredibles 2 was two hours and six minutes. Also, Fantasia was two hours and six minutes. And the 1978 animated Lord of the Rings was two hours and 12 minutes, which had been the longest produced animated film in Hollywood of all time. And now along we've got Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. The reason that this doesn't surprise me terribly much is because how long they've been working on this movie. You got to remember, not at this CinemaCon we were just at, 
But last year's CinemaCon, they showed us like 15 minutes of it. And they were still hard at work. A year later, they're still working on it. I mean, it's coming out here soon. And it is probably that and Dune are my two most anticipated films left on the docket this year. I, I still can't get over how much I love the first Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, it, again, to me, and I lo- a lot of people disagree with me, and that's fine. That movie came out in 2018, and I think that was the best comic book movie of the year. And that was the same year that Infinity War and Black Panther came out. And to me, that year belonged to Miles Morales. Uh, But at any rate, it's pretty funny when you look at it in comparison that this would make it the longest of all time. Chris, you know, were you surprised? Number one, were you surprised to hear that runtime of two hours and 20 minutes? And then were you surprised when we start considering the context that this actually makes it the longest Hollywood animated film of all time. What do you think about that? I'm not surprised by this runtime because we have so many freaking spider people in this. Oh. We are introducing so many new people to the cast and we are talking about multiverses and moving through them. And we've got bombastic Bagman, Hell yes. So I think this makes sense. But when you do equate it to all these other films, it is really interesting to see that this is among the longest of these American releases, I suppose, right? The the Hollywood ones, as you said. Um, but that said, I, I feel like they probably took the time that they needed Because I feel like from what we've seen of this movie already, from what we know of the first one, they really, really nailed the pacing in Spider-Verse the first go. And so I'm assuming, I could be wrong because this is an assumption, I'm assuming we're taking the time we need here. Because what we saw at CinemaCon was a beautiful family moment, right? That had these great beats and really just connected Miles and his mom on this great mother-son familial moment that had so much heart to it. And that makes me really excited that we're taking the time to do those kinds of moments with the big bombastic action and everything we see in the trailers. We also have to establish why there's going to be this beef between him and Miguel. We have a lot to get through. So... This length makes sense to me, and I actually just bought my ticket online while we were doing this story. <laughs> I was, I was like, wondering what you were doing over there. I said, I look like, up and Chris Oh, shit, like, I have to get my ticket because my, my friend Tiffany was like, hey, I grabbed a seat already. And this isn't even for the first show of the day. It's I got the last two seats for my theater for this wow. particular showing. So you guys get your tickets. I don't think anyone's being you know deterred by these run times or anything. Get your tickets now while you can so you can see this. I am not somebody who buys movie tickets ahead of time. I usually just walk to the theater and get them when I can because I'm a chaos demon. But man, get those tickets. All right, look, I, I should point this out too. Longer runtime does not equal better movie. Right? No. Every movie has the runtime that's best for it. Some movies, the best runtime for it is three hours. Some movies, the best runtime is 90 minutes. Should be pointed out that the first Spider-Verse movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I thought was the best comic book movie of the year, it clocked in under two hours. Yes. And it was the best comic book movie of the year. This one is almost a full 25 minutes longer than the first one. And look, all I know is I cannot wait to see this movie. I'm so excited. Guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse apparently is clocking in at two hours and 20 minutes, making it the longest Hollywood animated film of all time and almost a full 25 minutes longer than the previous Spider-Verse movie. Are you excited about this? Could you not care less? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into our next topic here, shall we? And that one is this. Blade is the new Flash. Is, is it, it a movie? Is it a movie? Is it know. ever actually going to happen? It's been four years since Kevin Feige walked out on stage with two-time, 
two-time Academy Award-winning actor Mahershala Ali and announced that he was going to be Blade in the MCU and all that kind of stuff. And we are sitting here today now in 2023. Granted, there was this little thing called the pandemic, but we are still sitting here in 2023, and they have not started shooting this movie. (laughs) They have not started shooting this movie. They haven't finished writing this movie. Now, no worries, because they said they're going to start shooting at the end of May. Well, farts to that, because that ain't going to happen either. Because just recently they had hired on a brand new writer like three weeks before they were supposed to start shooting. And then the very next day, a little writer strike happened. And that ain't happening. Now, this comes from the folks over at The Hollywood Reporter. Write this. The writer's strike has taken a bite out of Blade. Marvel Studio is shutting down pre-production on its vampire thriller starring Mahershala Ali, which was set to begin filming next month in Atlanta. The feature project, which has been paused once before. Yeah, don't forget that. They had paused production on this before. Becomes the first tentpole movie impacted by the strike. Cast and crew members are being notified this afternoon. Blade had recently hired True Detective creator Nick Pizzolatto to work on the script, but according to an insider, time simply ran out. The <laughs> studio will restart the production once the strike is over. Okay, so I remember when they announced that they hired this guy. I'm like, okay, first of all, great writer, fantastic writer, but they, they're supposed to start shooting this movie in less than a month. And then once we heard, got wind that they were not going to be able to reach a deal, the writers and the producers were not going to be able to reach a deal, and that a strike was coming, we're like, well, that's going to totally foobar the, this end of May production start date for Blade. And so, sure enough, it has. And guess what? It ain't the first bump in the road. Let's look at this little timeline, shall we? <laughs> Again, back in 2019, four years ago, they announced the movie. Then in 2020, they hired Bassem Tariq to, to direct. Ah, sorry, not going to happen because two years later, he left over, quote-unquote, creative differences. In 2022, they also announced they were completely trashing the script and starting from scratch. Apparently, Mahershala Ali and many others were very unhappy with the script at that point. In 2022, they just ran up the white flag and said, look, we're just stopping development on this for now. We got to get our ducks in an order. Then in 2023, uh, Yen Demange was brought on to direct the film. Also, now in 2023, and then in 2023, the film was delayed from November 2023 to September of 2024. Great. Well, guess what? That might move again because now production is halted again. And listen, if they're halting the production, starting production on this movie because of the writer's strike, I got news for you. We don't know how long this writer's strike is going to last. And the longer this goes, it creates more complications because the longer this writer strikes goes, more and more projects are going to get bumped, shuffled, moved around, and they may go, okay, writer strike is over. Let's say, I don't know, God forbid it's three months from now. Just like last time. I know. God forbid. But if it's three months from now, they might go, okay, writer strike is done. Let's get moving. Well, now half your crew is like, ah, we got prior commitments. I mean, so it just could create a lot of stuff. I am not saying the September 2024 release date for Blade is off the table, but I'm saying it's in jeopardy and it could just be the next thing. I wonder if at any point Kevin Feige just goes, the fault's in our stars. This this is not to be. We are cursed. This, this movie just isn't going to happen. I don't think that's the case. Obviously, I don't think that's the case. But man, this is a growing laundry list. Anyway, Chris... You hear about this, no big surprise. We predicted that when they announced the writer strike that there was no way they're going to be able to start shooting considering oh, yeah. they just brought on a new writer. 
Uh, but you hear about this. Is this your new flash? Is this movie going to happen? What's so. the biggest problem here? What's, what's used the biggest red flag? What do you think? Oh, man, this is my new flash. I'm so heartbroken <laughs> about it, too, because I love Blade. But, yeah, this has just had so many false starts that I really just I have so little hope in this iteration of this film being made. And I don't know how much longer Mahershala Ali can be attached to it. You know, it's going to involve a lot of action. He's got a very, very busy schedule. He is such a sought after actor. Two-time Academy Award winner. Two-time. Two time. I mean, he can't, Two. he can't just be waiting in the wings for this movie to happen. He needs to have other projects happening, right? And and time is money for anybody, but particularly as an actor, you have such a tight schedule for what you can and can't do, right? Um, time is money. That's a lot of Euro pussies they're losing. <laughs> That's like over 20 trillion like, Euro so pussies. Many, yes. So many. And uh, there were articles this morning, too. I was reading in The Hollywood Reporter and over on Deadline Everything, too. Just some more information about how the writer's strike is going to be affecting things should it continue on for longer than we hope. If it is like last time where it lasts for several months of movies going into hiatus, television going into hiatus, these sorts of things. Right. And it also is coming at a time where people are now starting to look at executives compensation and wondering, hey, why are these executives being, being paid so much money, whereas they're not making these demands of the writers? It's all getting really, really ugly. And the biggest loss, too, is that we're all going to not have the, the entertainment that we all want and deserve, right? Mm -hmm. But it's coming at a time now where now not only are more common movie fans going, hey, that movie still isn't coming out. It's now adding to everyone looking at the strike. More people, my parents, some other people who I know who aren't in the industry are asking me more questions about, hey, I read this article about this happening or this person getting this kind of compensation. It's all kind of snowballing into this horrible cacophony for executives too of, hey, what the fuck are you guys doing? Because it seems like a lot of missteps have been made. Now, obviously, Blade has suffered a death of a thousand cuts. It has had so many problems prior to the strike happening, but it really does bring to light a lot of the other issues that are happening in Hollywood that the writer's strike is exacerbating. And I really hope everyone gets their poop in a group because the longer this all takes, the more and more people are going to fall down that rabbit hole of doom scrolling and finding out more and more things about what's going wrong with all these productions. Uh, one other thing that'd be interesting to point out too here, when Mahershala Ali was brought out on stage and Kevin Feige announced that he was the new Blade, he was 45 years old. And at the time, while everybody loves Mahershala Ali, at the time, there were you saw the conversations online. Is he maybe a little bit on the older side to be starting a brand new franchise, right? Starting a brand new franchise. Is 45 maybe a little bit old to start a brand new superhero franchise? Well, that was then. He's 49 now. So uh, we're, we're in the months that are counting down to when he turns 50. So And now we're getting a 49-year-old Mahershala Ali that is starting, hopefully, a brand new franchise. So and, I don't know. I, I remember when he was on the Trevor Noah show, and they were about to start shooting, and he was saying, yeah, he's been training for two months. He's very excited. He got blessings from uh, Wes, Wesley Snipes. Wait, nice. How long ago was that? I, I want to say it was before the – or no, because they were in studio. It was right before the pandemic. Okay. So um, I don't know. I hope it's not too late for the two time. Two time. Two time, two time baby. Academy Award winner Herschel <laughs> Ali. Guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? I mean, it's, it's not a big surprise. They just hire a new writer and then the writer strike happens the next day. <laughs> 
They're not going to be able to start production mm-hmm. at the end of May. Now it's officially on pause. How long will this pause be? Even when the writer strikes ends, will this cause a scheduling mess that maybe that's going to delay it even more? Can they make that September 2024 release date? I don't think so. Is Mahershala Ali maybe getting too old to start a brand new franchise? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? You know, Guardians of the Galaxy Chapter 3, or Volume 3, I should say, is now out in theaters. It's playing out there. We just talked a second ago about, you know, is the question, is it in the conversation now for maybe the best comic book film of all time? Maybe? Or best comic book trilogy, the the best comic book uh, Marvel trilogy of all time. We talked about that a little bit. But it just had its opening weekend, and now the official numbers are in. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 has opened with $118.4 million, which makes it, uh, we're now about five months into the year. We're getting close to the halfway point. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is now the number two biggest opening weekend of the year, only behind uh, Mario Brothers. That's the only movie it's behind. It's It beat out every other thing from Creed to John Wick and everything, actually by, by quite a bit, and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So with 118.4 million. Now that makes it less of an opening than Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, but a significantly bigger opening than the first Guardians of the Galaxy fits in there pretty well. So the question online right now is, is $118.4 million, should that be considered a good opening weekend? Well, here's something that's interesting. Right now, there are a bunch of people online that are proclaiming that this is a disaster. For Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, there there are some clear... Look, to me, Disney can go fuck themselves right harshly. I, I don't really give a shit about Disney. But I am completely objective in a subjective way when it comes to the movie. I see a project. If I like it, I say I like it, like Guardians of the Galaxy 3. If I see a project and I don't like it, like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, I say I don't like it. So I got no dog in this hunt. But I can't remember the last time I heard of a movie making $118 million dollars. And some people online, you can clearly see have an agenda trying to say, this is a bomb. It's a flop, all this kind of stuff. And when you ask them, wait a minute, why, why would you say that a movie opening to $118.4 million, the second biggest opening of the year, why would you proclaim it a flop? Here's the, the answer. Well, it's not tracking that far ahead of Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania which made, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, $106 million opening weekend. So this made like $12 million more. This made like 10% more. But the argument is, well, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania made $106 million, and it didn't even make $500 million at the box office. Therefore, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, we can already write it off as a flop. Now, this reminds me very much back a few months ago when Avatar 2, The Way of Water came out because you had headlines like, you had headlines like these. You remember these? The first, the opening weekend of Avatar, The Way of Water came out and you had these YouTube videos, Cameron loses it. This could be bad, the box office. Avatar 2, box office trending down, box office bloodbath. 
<laughs> and all these people like with their totally anti anti Disney agendas and all this kind of stuff. Proclaim. Oh, what happened with that movie? Just went on to be the third biggest film in the history of cinema. Now, I thought just to give some context here, we would take a second and say, okay, with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 making $118.4 million, is that disastrous? Is this thing destined to, to do what Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania did and come in under $500 million? Well, let's look at a history of the MCU at MCU films that have opened with less money than Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 did. Check this out. Ant-Man 2 only opened to $75 million. That's like 50% less than what Guardians 3 just did. And that movie still went on to make $622 million. The first Doctor Strange only opened to $85 million. It's almost like more than $30 million less than Guardians 3 did. Yet it still went on to make $666 million. Spider-Man Far From Home opened with almost like almost $20 million less than Guardians of the Galaxy 3 did. Made $92 million opening weekend. It made $1.13 billion in the box office. Spider-Man Homecoming made almost identical, just a little bit less than Guardians 3 did. Made $117 million on its opening weekend. It went on to make $880 million. The first Guardians made $94 million on its opening weekend. Significantly less than Guardians 3. Still made $772 million. Winter Soldier made significantly less than Guardians 3 did at $95 million, made $714 million. And a terrible movie, Thor 2, The Dark World, opened $85 million, more than $30 million less than Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and it still managed to make $644 million. Look, does Guardians of the Galaxy 3 making $118.4 million on opening weekend assure and guarantee that the movie is going to be a big, big hit? No. No, it does. Let's be very clear. No, it doesn't. It does not assure that. It does not guarantee that. However, what that number does prove and what the stats and the numbers do prove is that opening to $118.4 million is in no way a time to say, well, this movie is destined to flop. And again, the only thing that other people have to draw to is like, well, look what Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania did. Yeah, but Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania had a 47% critic rating guardians of the galaxy volume three has a critic rating in the 80s the audience score of guardians of the galaxy 3 is 95 percent. it has an a cinema score and man of the watch quantum mini took nearly a 70 percent drop from week one to week two actually i don't know chris if you can look up that exact number for me what was the second weekend drop but it was around 70 percent guardians of the galaxy 3 is not going to have that big of a drop now again just to be clear does this mean that Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is going to make over $700 million in the box office? Not necessarily, but these numbers do prove that to say that, well, because Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania made 106 and Guardians of the Galaxy 3 only made $12 million more than it did on opening weekend. Ticket sales were down 69%. 69%. So uh, uh, somewhere Taylor's high-fiving a thousand so that, angels. So that nearly 70%. The, the assertion that, well, it's, it's not tracking that far ahead of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is idiotic. It's idiotic. We just brought up a whole laundry list of films in Marvel Universe that have opened with less. And the big difference, listen, opening weekend numbers are byproducts of what's going on in the context and the time that it comes out and the marketing. The overall box office has a greater reflection of the quality of the film. 
It's not a direct correlation. I'm not trying to suggest it is, but there's anecdotal stuff there. And people did not love Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, but people are loving Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So again, do I think this movie is going to make a billion dollars? I'm not saying it will. I'm not even saying this thing will necessarily hit $800 million or anything like that. But I am saying this notion of this movie making $118.4 million and that is somehow a disaster. Again, I just had a full laundry list of Marvel movies that have opened a less and done pretty damn well. Anyway, Chris, you see this number. It's the second biggest opening of the year so far. Under what Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was, above what Guardians of the Galaxy 1 was. Mm-hmm. Uh, bigger than some Marvel films, not as big as others. But I don't know, how do you see this opening weekend for Guardians? I think it was very successful. And I think that this even though it wasn't as much as the first Guardians or other Marvel films, I think the word of mouth here is what's really important. I do think that some people were, hey, maybe I should hold off on seeing this. Maybe I'll wait to see what other people think because we have been pretty burned this year with some superhero films. So I think that this doing so well, having that great audience score, having that great critical score, I think is going to do wonders for the second week here. So I'm very, very optimistic about this. And honestly, this whole correlation, the, well, one movie did a great box office opening weekend and then did terrible. It's not apples to oranges. I mean, you, you can't do this. It, it, I don't understand the logic here. Of I've seen one movie do well one weekend and then fail miserably. So now all movies are that way. That's a weird straw man kind of argument that I don't understand why everyone's bandwagoning on. You know, and also I, I want to remind people the context we're in right now. Because a lot of comic book movies, including a couple of Marvel ones, have been subpar and not up to the standard that we've come accustomed to our comic book movies being for the past 15 years, we're seeing a downward trend, right? Look, I I, I know everybody thinks I'm beat up on Black Adam, but Black Adam, with the biggest movie star in the world, and now built up for 15 years, it had a $67 million opening weekend. That's, That's almost half of what Guardians of the Galaxy 3 did. And yet there were people out there trumpeting that 67 million was a huge success for Black Adam and are the same people that will proclaim that $118 million opening nearly double is somehow some kind of abject disaster. But again, we will see. All I know is that the audience score for this thing is 95%. The people seem to be loving it and it's going to have much better legs. Listen, this movie, I'll tell you right now, is not going to have a 70% drop in week two like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania did. It's just not. So, I don't know. Guys, question is for you. How do you see this? Do you believe that a $118.4 million opening weekend is a disaster for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, much like people proclaimed it was for uh, Avatar 2, The Way of Water? Uh, Do you think, no, this movie's absolutely going to make a billion dollars? I'm not there either. I'm somewhere in the middle. How do you see this right now? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys, with that down, we're going to take a second here before we move on and take your questions that you guys have been firing in. Once again, you can fire in questions anytime, 24-7, to streamelements.com slash johncampia slash tip, and we'll read them on the next day's show. But before we get to those, we want to take a moment to thank a couple of more sponsors of today's episode, the wonderful folks at Masterclass and my mobile service provider, Mint Mobile. 
We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn filmmaking from James Cameron himself, you know, the guy who made three of the four biggest films of all time. Improve your writing by taking screenwriting from one of the greatest who's ever done it, Aaron Sorkin. Or maybe learn how to make great comedic content by taking comedy by the one and the only Judd Apatow. And many of you guys know I'm a big poker guy, and I recently got a chance to sit down and watch Daniel Negreanu, one of the greatest poker players in the world, teach poker. It was absolutely fantastic. But guys, whatever you're interested in, there is a class for you with over 180 exclusive classes taught by the instructors you know and love. And you can explore lessons in any order you'd like across your phone, tablet, Apple TV, computer, and on the go with audio mode. Individual lessons range from about 10 to 15 minutes in length that fit easily into your everyday life. Guys, I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class and as a John Campia Show listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash campia now. That's masterclass.com slash campia for 15% off Masterclass. We want to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. You guys know that ever since I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been saving almost 70% a month over my old phone plan. For people looking Looking for extra savings this year? Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just $15 a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Masterclass and Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. All right, guys, with that down, let's get over to your questions here, shall we? Chris, what do we have up? From Stubble McShave, I heard that the reason HBO Max was changed to Max was because people associate the name HBO with adult shows. The thought was that it made families wary of having their kids watch the streaming service and they want to reach whole families. Thoughts? No, I, I've heard that theory pitched around. I, I don't buy into that. Your, the image of your brand can be whatever it is you want to make it. The, the more important thing is that the image of the brand HBO was the highest quality stuff anybody's ever made on television. And they should have stuck with that. And I've heard other things like it was more a byproduct of the fact that people who came over from Discovery are like, hey, like we just call it HBO Max. What are we, chopped liver over here? Whatever. So so they decided to rename it to Max. Again, listen, it's just a name. It won't ultimately impact anything. But I still, to this day, think it was a massive mistake to take the name HBO out of the name. Agreed. Still, I mean, Skinamax and Max. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean that I'll sign up for. That I'll sign up for. <laughs> I All will right. say actors have this in joke, and there was a sketch about it, too, of when you'd book HBO, where it'd be, I booked HBO. And I don't have to be naked. And people would be like, oh, <laughs> I don't amazing. have to be naked. 
All right, what's next? From oh shit! <laughs> Good Not naked. From live free or Jedi. Well done. Hey crew, I really enjoyed Rocket as the true protagonist. Lila even has a quote about it. I know it's early, but which Guardians backstory would you like to see in film? I say Groot. He can't really be the only one left of his kind. What do you think? I don't think Groot is supposed to be the last of his kind. I mean, there's even a that a, a line that Thor has in one that. I mean, there's so many Groots out there that Thor took Groot as an elective in Asgardian mm-hmm. school. So I don't think he's left. Um, which one would I like to see a backstory of? None. I, I don't look, I don't mind if there's a little bit of flashback in a movie, but do I want a Groot origin story? Well, actually, we've been with this Groot since he was a little plant in a pot. So that, but I actually don't want a the early days of Gamora movie. I don't want the early days of Nebula movie. I I like my stories moving forward, not backwards. And so, honestly, the answer would be none. But again, like what they did in Guardians 3, I don't mind flashbacks that tell a story while a moving forward story is happening. So, that's how I see it. Rocket was shrouded in mystery where everyone else has told us aspects of their history. That's a good point. That's a really, really good point. Thank you. All right, what's next? From Zelda Master 702, all I want to say is, open the effing door. Yeah, we will not say what that is in relation to, but oh my God, I laughed pretty damn hard. When that happened, like a lot, it just kind of catches you off guard, yeah. which is exactly how dropping an F-bomb should do. When you use, when you do it too much, it doesn't have the same impact anymore, but there it's like really, really good. All right. What's next? From Tristan Thorpe, my Star Wars movie rank 12 Clone Wars, 11 Rise of Skywalker, 10 Attack of the Clones, 9 Solo, 8 Force Awakens, 7 TPA, 6 The Last Jedi, 5 Revenge of the Sith, 4 A New Hope, Three, Rogue One, two, Return of the Jedi, one, Empire Strikes Back. Beautiful thing about the Star Wars movies is you can get, you know, 30 Star Wars fans in a room and everybody's order will be massively to slightly different. And there's no wrong answer. That's the great thing about it. I I mean, even, listen, people will often ask me, man, there's a couple things in Star Wars you hate. I'm like, absolutely. I'm like, but but you say you're the biggest fan. Like, that's the, the number one thing of fandom for you. It's like, absolutely. Why are you supposed to love everything about it? Not at all. I've been a Toronto Maple Leafs fan my whole life, and they've sucked most of the time, but it's my favorite. <laughs> the Maple Leafs are my favorite. Fucking down 3-0 to the Florida. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I won't get into that. I'm, I'm not going to let this ruin my day. Um, but yeah, that's the great thing. You can be any order. I love your order, man. All right, what's next? From Anonymous, speaking of Star Wars, I saw Return of the Jedi in theaters last week. Nice. And as many times as I've watched it, it felt like I was seeing it for the first time. Just hate the no <laughs> edit at the end with Vader throwing Palpatine over the rail. Still a great time. Yeah. Now, listen, we we could do an entire month-long series dissecting the various micro and slightly larger changes made in the special editions of Star Wars that have gone on. Listen, some things in the special editions actually kind of work and work well. I like when they go to Bespin and Empire, and you, for the first time ever, you see some kind of wider cityscapes of Bespin and things like that. There are moments like that. And then there are some inexplicable things. The Jedi Rocks song is one of the most atrocious crimes against humanity ever committed. None of which worse, though, than changing the Ewok song at the end of Jedi. I know. I, I, I will never forgive them for that. I love them. I love them. But I'll never forgive them for that one either. But yeah, the Jedi... Vader yelling no. That's like, oh, God, really? That's like taking a mistake and the compounding the mistake. <laughs> All right, what's next? From Seth, Jeff Snyder made a good point about these Fantastic Four casting rumors. 
There's no way Disney will have an all-white cast. I think if Reed is driver, Sue and Johnny will probably be actors of color. Not necessarily. Um, I mean, look, there's there's a good there's good foundation for Jeff saying that, right? Like our world is is a diverse world. I mean, hell, we just we just had an event yesterday. I'm standing on stage and I'm looking at a diverse audience. We we live in a diverse world. That should be reflected in our stories on screen. But I don't think we can just automatically say that. Now, now remember, I, I like Jeff very much. Jeff also said before Tom Holland was cast that he guaranteed that the new Spider-Man was not going to be a Caucasian actor. Uh, Jeff had, had guaranteed infamously that it was going to be, I can't remember which race he thought it was going to be. And, and it didn't. So look, I, I think Jeff has solid foundation for that because the, the world of Hollywood, which has had this agenda of exclusion for over a century is starting to take apart that agenda, that agenda that's been around forever. And studios are now starting to go, hey, you know what? Um, Our world looks like this. Let's make our movies look like the world we live in a little bit. So I I wouldn't be surprised at all if one of the characters in Fantastic Four is of a different race. And you know what? It's fine because it doesn't make any difference. makes no difference whatsoever. Won't make the movie any better. Won't make the movie any worse. So there's no reason they need to do it. There's no reason they shouldn't do it. But I don't think it's a guarantee. I still think there's a very good shot that it's just going to be more traditional. They'll, they'll do the four Caucasian actors, and that's perfectly fine, too. So we'll see what they end up doing with it. All right, what's next? From Carlos Q. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 hit me on every level. Best Marvel film in the last five years for me. Tray on top was the perfectly placed F-bomb. <laughs> also cool to see movie talk OG Tiffany Smith have a tiny role. Yeah, that was oh, well, pretty fun. Oh, what was she in? She, okay, so there's a scene, I, I, without giving spoilers away, where they're in a big, busy corporate office and up on the monitor is oh. an explainer video going on. Oh, okay. And the girl in that okay. was former movie talk, former Jedi council person, the wonderful Tiffany Smith. Oh, cool. Uh, up, there, up there doing that thing. She's been doing some big things lately, actually. So yeah, that, that was a really, really cool thing to see because Ann and I were sitting there we're like, wait a minute, is that Tiff? And, and sure enough, it was Tiffany. All right, what's next? From Kia San Diego. Watched Queen Charlotte on Netflix yet? What a masterpiece. The writing, acting, production design, all gripping, top notch. Even if you don't love Bridgerton, it's an absolute must-see. Tears your heart out in the best way. Just pure art. Still crying. And that was a $20 super chat, so or tip rather. So thank you, Kia. Thank you, Kia. Appreciate that very much. Is it must-see? Is it? Is it? Um, okay, so Are I want... Are you walked... a big Bridgertonian? Anne loves Bridgerton. That tracks. And so I walked into the living room the other day from my office and she was watching, what's it called? Queen Charlotte? Yeah. Which I just think of, so this is a WWE documentary. That's all I think about here. So really Queen Charlotte? Okay. Wow. Um, I I couldn't stomach five minutes of it. I'm like, oh my God, this is so, but hey, you know what? That's why there's a wide diverse uh, playground of entertainment. Like it's, there's something for everybody. And that is, clearly was working for you and my wife loved it. It's, but it's not for me. And that's great. Cause there's other things that are for me. So I, uh, I, I, about the 10 minutes I watched about that. Nope, this is not for me. I do not consider this must see, but others do. And that's the important thing. So I've, are, are you a Bridgertonian? I enjoy Bridgerton. I'm not as diehard as other people, 
Season one, I was like, this show is wildly horny, and I was not expecting it. <laughs> wildly horny. It's a wildly put, horny show. Put that on the poster. That's when I you think release wildly horny. <laughs> wildly horny, Chris Carr. It was just I, they, the stuff happened, and all of a sudden, it was like everyone's naked all the time now. <laughs> um, and then season two, it was more of the kind of like rivals who become lovers. Will they? Won't they? More Jane Austen, like hands almost touching kind of stuff. But it's a it's a touching good, what. My hands almost touching each other. It was oh, very, like, okay. Jane I, that's the, okay, that's and, less and then, interesting. And then they do other things. But I understood why people enjoyed it. I wasn't as a, as much of a rabid fan as other people, I guess. Rabbit so be I, horny Chris Carr. What? Horny rabbits. I'm literally saying that I wasn't. Horny <laughs> rabbits. I, I will say You're this. wishful thinking. <laughs> when I was watching, when Anne was watching season two, and I, I, I saw, like, she watched it all year, so I watched a little bit of it. Um, there is a character who was, I, I'm assuming was not in season one. I think she was the main female love interest, like an uh, Indian girl, yeah. uh, Indian or Pakistani. I, I, I didn't, I didn't know which, I don't know who that was. I don't know the actress's name, but my goodness. Whereas uh, Jean Valjean Javert Baroque. Oh, uh, Roger Jean. Yeah. Yes. The, the guy from, season, from yeah. the first, uh, from the first season, mm -hmm. whereas he is like one of the most stupidly handsome men I've ever seen. The girl She's in stunning. Oh my God. The girl in season two is like one of the most stunningly beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. So you got like the, the Jean Valjean in the first one and then yeah. this girl in the second one. Well, and the lead for this one too, who's the eldest brother of the Bridgertons, uh, he is who's going to be Fiero in Wicked. Really? Yeah. God, by the way, Wicked, Ugh. they showed us like, what was it? Like a 10 minute presentation on mm -hmm. Wicked. I have not given two squirts of piss about Wicked. And then they showed us like this 10 minute presentation. I'm like, I fucking want to watch Wicked today. Like this guy, seriously, this movie looks so good. It looks stupidly good. I, and, and I didn't care shit about it before. But uh, anyway, sorry, off track. Uh, Queen Charlotte, not must see for me, but I'm glad you're enjoying it. Oh, and that actress is Simone Ashley. The uh, one from, oh, the actress from, Simone from, Ashley? Yeah. Oh, okay, thank you. From Bridgerton. All right, what's next? That's it. Oh, that's it? Yep. Dang. And all right, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campion Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in those tip questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this show as you did it. And all of us involved with the show, thank you so very much for your support. Guys, going to let you know that at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time today, I will be doing an open mic. So if you guys want to come in and join me, I'm going to take your live questions during open mic. That again, maybe you'll start at 2.30. Keep your guys' eyes open on the channel for what time we're going to be starting that. And I'll look forward to seeing you guys there. Don't forget to come back and join us for tomorrow's episode of the John Campus Show. I want to thank everybody in the room. We got Ray back there. Jen's been supporting us back there. Jonathan running the show. Chris Carr ruling the world. My name's John Campia. Thanks a lot for being here, guys. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.